What up? Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. I'm Joe Wolfond, and I am joined remotely by co-host Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? Not too much, man. You're in the car. You're on your way to... Uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the car on the way to uh, Kingston, Ontario. Canadian listeners are not. American listeners are not. Well, of course, the reason uh, that I'm bothering Cash on this Saturday morning uh, as he rolls along the 401 East is the NBA landscape has been shaken up. Late Friday night, news that um, Kawhi Leonard has signed a four-year max deal with the Clippers. And uh, in conjunction with that move, the Clippers pull off just a blockbuster trade for Paul George. And... Um, we obviously had to uh, to get in here and just chat about the the massive implications of this, not just for the Clippers, but for the Toronto Raptors, for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and for the Los Angeles Lakers, because this is just this is just a huge sprawling set of moves um, that I think set us up for a really really fascinating season. So, Cash, where do you want to start with this? Um, obviously, this kind of touches four teams, like I mentioned. Which one uh, Which one do you want to start with? I mean, we might as well start with the Clippers, right? They're the ones that made made the splash. This is a seismic shift in the NBA. Um, you know, we talk about parity and, and the balance that the league is going to have now. Holy hell, man, that the team they just assembled. I know they gave up a lot to get Paul George. Um, you know, they mortgaged their future and then some with all the picks. I, I think they don't control their own pick now until 2024, 2025, something like that. Um, but it's it's hard to argue that it's not worth it. You look at the year Paul George was having last year before that shoulder injury kind of robbed him of of the, I guess, back stretch of the season. I mean, the guy was a legit MVP candidate. What did he finish third in voting in the end? Yeah, I think he did. Um, you know, he was a legitimate MVP candidate. We know Kawhi would have been there if it wasn't for load management and then ended up winning finals MVP after engineering one of the greatest individual postseason performances we've ever seen. So those two guys alone, and you know, you throw in Pat Beverly, Lou Williams. That the perimeter defense there is going to be pretty insane. Like between Beverly, PG, and Kawhi, that's Kawhi uh, is probably like the best defensive trio we've seen. I mean, it's up there for sure. I think actually, I mean, Kawhi's defense at its peak for sure is, you know, you might say, I actually think PG is the best perimeter defender in the league right now, and and Kawhi might be number two at his peak, but. Between those three guys, like, you know, their interior defense we can talk about. It's sort of a different story, and maybe there are some ways they can bolster that. But but just, yeah, on the perimeter, um, that's about as good as it can possibly get. Yeah, if you're a team um, who relies on not necessarily just perimeter scoring, but in general, like, your, your perimeter players to engineer everything, which, I, you know, most teams do rely on that, especially in the modern NBA, good luck scoring on this team because they're going to shut you down and... And the thing with those guys is, obviously, you know, Beverly is going to guard usually the opposing point guards or their best perimeter player. But, you know, in PG and Kawhi, they've got guys who can shut down your perimeter players, but they can also guard up to power forwards. You know, and we saw what Kawhi did to Giannis Antetokounmpo in the conference finals. They can they can neutralize guys that size, but also completely eradicate, like, star point guards and, and perimeter players. So, yeah, I, it's going to be really hard for teams to score on the Clippers consistently and and obviously they have more than enough scoring themselves you know between Kawhi and Paul George with Lou off the bench this again I know they gave up a lot and it's the kind of risk I think a lot of teams are too scared to make but 
when when part of the reward for that risk is getting Kawhi Leonard for the next four years and getting Paul George for at least two and you know knowing that you've got the LA market behind you to try to keep Paul George in a couple of years that's I think the the risk was well worth it oh I think it's it's absolutely a no-brainer I mean just knowing that that pulling off that trade guaranteed them Kawhi uh, I think they absolutely had to do it I think it's interesting because obviously this was sort of the the dream that that could have been in Indiana uh, the Pacers who had Paul George drafted Kawhi and flipped him for George Hill and it was always sort of this great what if uh, you know what if those two guys had managed to play together and now here we are they're both home in LA uh, and like you said with a pretty solid supporting cast as well at least offensively you know and I, and I think they sort of join the Sixers in my mind as this team that has a ton of talent but doesn't really have a traditional point guard. They they have Beverly, but to me, he's more of like an off-ball guard uh, and a guy who will defend point guards extremely well, but uh, isn't exactly like a primary ball handler. So obviously, I think those responsibilities are going to be split between Kawhi and Paul George, two guys who are really, really capable of playing is, on the ball. Does Shamit maybe take that role on? No, I don't think so. Because again, he to me is like he's such a Redick type, right? Like he's best basically yeah. just running all around, flying off of screens, shooting off of the catch, and like his off-ball gravity, I think, is actually going to be really important to sort of opening things up for for those guys when they're playing on the ball. I'm interested to see how they make it fit, and they've got a bit of room to play with now too. Um, you know, if they want to, if they want to add some other guys, and I think I actually think like the the front court is probably the priority right now just because like they're looking at starting Ivica Zubac at center and and he's a nice player but I don't know if that's how they want to go into the season with with him as their starting five yeah I mean I think defensively you know interior defense might be an issue and you got Zubac like he's he's pretty bad defensively but um you know I, I guess some of those concerns are alleviated when it's going to be hard for teams to even get in the paint in the first place <laughs> when you've got George, Kawhi, and Beverly hounding them on the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, I guess that'll be their answer, right? Just don't allow penetration ever, and they won't have to worry about any backline defense. No, I was going to say, yeah, that's exactly it, right? I mean, look, especially with with what the league is now after this decision, and you know, I already mentioned some of the parity that I think we'll see, even though I do think the Clippers are probably now the best team, you know, they're not they're not head and shoulders above the rest of the league in the way that the Warriors were the last few years, or even the way that the Heat were, you know, at their peak with the big three. Um, And so I think most teams, even the championship contenders, have pretty big question marks. And I think if, if your biggest question mark is, you know, maybe not the most traditional point guard and Zubac, your starting center, but you've got Kawhi and Paul George in tow, and you've got Lou scoring off the bench, and you've got Montrez Harrell and, you know, and all that, you're kind of laughing. Yeah, I I mean, the timing lines up really well, right? Like those uh, Kawhi and Paul George, basically the same age. I think PG is a year older. Um, So they're they're more or less on the same timeline. And it just, I mean, it's a great fit in basketball terms. uh, Obviously, you know, Kawhi wanted to make this happen. There are reports that, you know, he was really aggressive in recruiting PG to the Clippers, basically convincing him to ask out of OKC. You know, for for a while, it seemed like George was destined to go to LA, whether it was the Clippers or whether it was the Lakers. He re-signs with the Thunder, um, you know, basically because of Russell Westbrook. 
and things went sort of topsy-turvy for them this season. Uh, and, you know, he, he finds himself in, in a spot where he can work his way to a better situation, uh, one where he has a chance to go and play in L.A., which is something that he has stated on the record he's always wanted to do, and, and do so uh, for a team that I think is going to be, I mean, would you call them the championship favorites at this point in time? I think you'd have to. I mean, I, obviously, Vegas-wise, like odds, odds-wise, they are. But I think even just if you look at it on paper and, and try to decipher the way the league's going to break down, I think you'd have to call them the favorites. I know, I know Milwaukee's obviously still going to be there. Um, Philly, very unconventional lineup, but the talent is there, and we've talked about how good they'll be defensively. I, those teams will be there, and there's some other teams in the West, obviously, that will be too. But I think, at least to start the year, it's hard for me to say anyone else is better than this team on paper. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so quick to to count out the Lakers just because. I mean, as far as a top two goes, I, I would still put LeBron and AD above Kawhi and PG. Would you agree? Man, that's tough. I think I think that's like as as even as it goes. But I will say that I do think, even though even though I think George and and Leonard coexist very well together, I do think LeBron and and Brow complement each other better as a duo than than Leonard and George. I mean, we've talked about it already, just how unstoppable that pick and roll combination is. Like LeBron's literally never had uh, a pick and roll finisher this dominant before. You know, that alone should carry the Lakers to an elite offense. So I think in terms of pure talent, I actually think each duo is pretty equal, but I do think the the Lakers star duo might actually complement them each other a little better than the Clippers do. Yeah, I think that, you know, with the Lakers, obviously the concern is just that they're very top heavy. Um, they, they did sign Danny Green to a two-year, $32 million deal, which I think is a nice piece of business. He's a perfect fit. Uh, and then, you know, they're filling out the back end of the roster with a lot of retreads. They got KCP back. They got JaVale McGee back. So, uh, you know, it's it's not going to be a particularly inspiring supporting cast, but I just think there's so much talent at the top of that roster that they're probably going to be able to make it work to a certain extent anyway. It's just a question of whether those guys can stay healthy and, you know, then you have these other sort of stealth contenders in the West where, you know, they're obviously, they don't have the top end talent, but they have a little bit better roster balance. And I'm thinking of, you know, teams like Denver and Utah. But I, I think I would agree. I, I would definitely consider the Clippers to be a championship favorite right now, but they still do have some questions to answer, I think, about their roster construction. Yeah, I agree with that. But even even what you were saying about the Lakers, I agree with. Like, look, it, it's very easy and fun to laugh at them right now, um, and I encourage everyone to do it. Uh, Rob Polinka might be up there with Broussard and all those quote unquote Reddit insiders as coming out of this as the biggest fraud of the of the saga. But at the end of the day, they've got LeBron James, they've got Anthony Davis, and again, in a league that is as wide open as it looks right now. You can't convince me that that duo doesn't at least put you in the conversation to contend for a title. Without a doubt, I don't think anyone would deny that. And again, you know, we were talking about the cost, but you know, at least in the near term, like those picks that they're sending out are, are presumably going to be very low in the first round, uh, like late twenties. And I don't think it will hurt too much to lose them when you start getting out to like twenty twenty four, twenty twenty six. And obviously, like those Miami picks too, could turn out to be really, really valuable. It, it's certainly—I mean, it's not prohibitive, but that's a, a high acquisition cost. And if you look at—I mean, George has term on his deal, so I think that makes a big difference. But 
even looking around the league at some of the other superstar trades that we've seen, I mean, this is a massive haul. Oh, it's historic. I mean, five picks? Was it five picks total when you include the swaps? So if you include the swaps, it's seven. But again, you can't real. You don't know whether those swaps are even going to come into effect. Right. Um, and again, I think so. The swaps are in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty five, I believe. Oh right, right. So it's it's five picks outright, and then two swap rights. Yes. That's insane. And again, I think it's it's worth it. Like I completely understand where the Clippers are coming from, and I think the reward is worth it. But from the from the Thunder's perspective. It's it's probably shell shocking for OKC fans that are waking up to the news because their their loss came out of nowhere, right? Like, you know, Raptors fans A got their title and B knew that this was always a possibility that Kawhi might walk. And especially the first week of July, everyone's just kind of waiting for his decision. Lakers fans, you know, as arrogant as they came across, had to know at the back of their minds there was a chance he'd pick either the Clippers or the Raptors. But if you're a Thunder fan, like you you went to bed thinking that as long as Kawhi doesn't pick the Lakers, the championship race is wide open, and you've got Paul George and Russell Westbrook, and yeah, it's probably not enough, but you're also in the mix. And then you wake up, and your best player is gone one year into a four-year deal or five-year, whatever it was, um, three-year deal, whatever it was. But like their loss came out of nowhere. No one saw that coming. Um, but having said that, they made off – like bandits from a rebuilding perspective so now you gotta wonder if you know if there's any way they can move that westbrook contract and kickstart a rebuild that no one saw coming they're pretty well positioned to do so like shea gilgis alexander there's a lot of people around the league that see all-star potential in him and kind of not necessarily franchise player material material but definitely like core of a future contending team franchise point guard material so to land him with all those picks and even Gallo, who they could, you know, they could very well flip again at some point this season for more assets if they can deal him to a contender who needs some scoring. Like, it, it's going to sting for a while for the Thunder because fans there really haven't seen a rebuilding team since the first year the team was in OKC. But once they accept that a rebuild is on the horizon, they're they're in good shape. Well, even in that first year in OKC, they had Westbrook and Durant. And that team was bad. I think they won like twenty, like maybe twenty two, twenty three games. Yeah, they started. They started like one in twenty or something. Yeah, it was a PJ Carlissimo coach team, right? Yeah. Um, they, they were playing Durant at the two, but I mean, like they could at least see that Durant was something special, right? And that, that you know there was a lot of optimism for the future. I think the the very next year they went out and won fifty games. So that was a quick turnaround. I mean, this is not going to be that. Like, like I agree, Shea Gilgis Alexander. I, I think he's a really interesting player. Uh, I really like his tools, but I mean, he's not Kevin Durant. He's not going to be that level of superstar. And they don't have a whole lot else to build with. And if you look at like the rest of the roster, I mean, I, I do think they're going to try and move Russ. It just makes sense. And you know, the reporting from Woj was that they, and we can talk about whether they were just using the Raptors as leverage in these trade talks, but we're we're trying to get the Raptors to bite on a deal that would have sent both Paul George and Russell Westbrook to Toronto. So it's clear they have their eyes on like a full-scale rebuild here. I just don't know if they're going to be able... Like, I'm not saying it's going to be a salary dump, but like, I don't think they can expect to get elite young talent in a trade involving Westbrook. No, I'd agree with that, but I do think... You know, I think if you're going to fully embrace the rebuild, you just have to move him anyway because 
say what you will about Westbrook's game, and I know there are complaints to to be made about it. His competitiveness alone, you know, will engineer even with a bad supporting cast, like a minimum of what 30, 35 wins, which is a pretty bad place to be in terms of a, a rebuilding team. So even though I don't think they're necessarily going to get a good return for Russ, I just think you know. If they want to do this properly and and truly build it from the ground up, they just got to get him out of there. I I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I mean, if there isn't a trade to be made, like if it's to the point where they where they'll have to like shed an asset to get rid of him, I don't think that that's worth it. And I agree, you don't really want to get stuck in like the thirty to thirty five win band, but at the same time, like there's probably a lot that someone like Shea Gilgis Alexander can learn from Westbrook. And I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to have an uber competitive guy in the locker room, you know, with a young team that's trying to find its way. I don't think they should get rid of him just for the sake of getting rid of him. No, I get that. The one counter, I guess, would be too is we've never seen Westbrook. Like we've seen angry Westbrook. We've seen petty Westbrook. We've seen vindictive Westbrook, but never internally with the Thunder. Like we've never seen Westbrook unhappy with his surroundings. Right. And I don't know. He seems like the kind of guy that when he gets wind of the fact, and I'm sure he's gotten it already, that sounds like he was on the trading block and the Thunder were trying to move him. I don't I don't know if you want that guy around a rebuilding team, you know? And again, maybe it's on him now. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. And he'll be this great vet for a young rebuilding team, even though he knows they're trying to move him. But I'm, I'm just not convinced of that. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. And obviously the other thing to consider is just that presumably – the Thunder are going to want to hand the keys to Shea and make him their full-time starting point guard, and that's going to be really difficult with a guy like Westbrook who just dominates the ball to the extent that he does. And obviously Shea, you know, kind of a sketchy jump shot, so not necessarily the guy you want playing off of the ball around Westbrook either. Um, That's just sort of a tough fit. So uh, there are a lot of reasons I think they should and will try to move on from Westbrook. I'm just I'm trying to think of a team that might be willing to take him on. And honestly, maybe Miami. Like I they, was just going to say, yeah. You know, they I go out just... and make this Butler trade. Um, they put those two guys together and probably can convince themselves that they have a chance to uh, to compete in the East. I wouldn't necessarily agree, but, you know, we talk a lot about Pat Riley and how much longer he's going to be doing this and how, you know, for him, I think the time is always now. They might be primed to make a move like that, and they have the contracts to send back that might make it work. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I talked about it on our last episode, and I wrote about it uh, yesterday as well, but on Friday, you know, like more than anybody, more than any executive, and more than any team, Pat Riley's Miami Heat understand the value of star power. Um, they always have. Riley always has, and so I agree with you. I don't think a Russ Jimmy Butler duo is winning anything of significance, but I think Riley might think have a shot to do it and he just understands the value of star power it's why you know he went and sold out and got rid of a bunch of guys like got rid of josh richardson to bring in jimmy butler when they didn't actually have max cap space because even though it probably didn't make them that much of a better team if at all in the short term it gave them that first star and and riley knows that's where you start and then maybe when a second star does become available in trade now you pounce on it because now you have that first star in place or you know if they're just a competitive playoff team the next couple of years then they'll have max cap space in 2021 and they'll have Jimmy Butler and Pat Riley and South beach of Miami to pitch free agents. So I think even though it's hard to see right now, because I think they're still a pretty mediocre team, 
Pat Riley has the Heat set up kind of exactly where he wants them, where they are in position to land, whether it's Westbrook or a free agent in a couple of years. They're they're right there. They're going to get somebody. I'm convinced of it. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, we'll see if uh, if they think Westbrook is that guy. I mean, that contract is tough. And the, the back end of it, I think, is probably going to look pretty ugly, just given that Westbrook already appears to be in pretty considerable decline. And, you know, I think even given that, he, he's still, I mean, he was an all-NBA player this year. He averaged a triple-double. Um, the playoff series against Portland notwithstanding, you know, he still had a, a very strong season. It's just, you know, how, how long is he going to be worth, you know, what, what he's taking up in cap space? And I think the answer might be like maybe one season. It's, it's scary, like looking at the, at the back end of that contract and what it might look like, you know, a couple of years down the road. Yeah, there's, there's no way that that contract is providing surplus basketball value beyond one, two years at the absolute max. Yeah. I mean, is there, are there any other teams around the league that you think might be sort of desperate enough to, to get into that mix? Not really. I mean, like, the Suns obviously perpetually searching for a point guard, but then they just gave Ricky Rubio $51 million. Yeah. Um, and I actually think, as much as I hate the Suns offseason in general – I think Rubio is actually the kind of like stabilizing point guard force guys like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton need. So I can't see Phoenix jumping into the mix right now. You know, the Wizards have a toxic point guard contract of their own that they might be looking to move, but then that doesn't really make sense for the Thunder because if they're trying to, you know, give the reins to Shake Gilgis Alexander and get off of Westbrook's contract, they're not taking on John Wall's contract. So I don't know, man. I, I, I really, other than Miami, Pat Riley, I don't see, at least right now, anyone you know chomping at the bit to take on that contract. Yeah, and I mean that's sort of why I think okay. So as much as I think they did really well with the haul that they got, they're looking at at what I would consider a really painful rebuild ahead. Just because you look at that roster and what other young players do they really have to build around? I mean, it's like Terrence Ferguson, Hamadou Diallo. Darius Baisley, who they just drafted. I mean, there, there are these sort of like raw project-like wings who project to be complementary players, even if they hit their ceiling. It's not, it's not a ton to build with. And the, the big contracts on their books, like Westbrook and Steven Adams, I just don't think are going to get them a whole lot on the trade market. I mean, maybe they get something for Gallo if they decide to flip him. Or... Or maybe they just keep those guys and, and see if they can make a playoff run this season. I mean, I don't... Like between Westbrook, Gallo, Stephen Adams, I don't know. I'm trying to talk myself into this, but I actually don't see that being a playoff team. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know where they go from here, but you know, getting all that draft pick compensation, getting SGA uh, in the deal, uh, I think they made out pretty well. It's just, I think it's going to take a long time before we see the fruits of uh, of this deal for them. Yeah, exactly. I think I think the trade put them in a good position to kickstart a rebuild but i think you know everything you just mentioned it's pretty obvious that the actual you know rebuild being fruitful is still probably years away another interesting thing too is how how the market is going to respond to it in terms of okay see look i know obviously thunder fans are known around the league as being you know some of the best some of the loudest some of the most devoted fans but again, like we mentioned that first year in OKC was really the only bad year they had. And they already had Durant and Westbrook um, 
you know, to look forward to. And they also, it was the first year in OKC, so it was kind of a honeymoon phase. Like, no, everyone loves a team its first year in town. So their entire existence there in OKC has either been a honeymoon phase or a contender or a quasi-contender. It'll be interesting to see what that market looks like as an NBA market if, you know, it is a two, three, four-year rebuild before they're relevant again. I actually think that their best trade asset might be Jeremy Grant if they felt inclined to flip him. Uh, and maybe that's yeah, just counterproductive that's pretty, because... That's a pretty depressing statement to say. If your best trade asset is Jeremy Grant... Well, I mean, Trump. just in terms of the fact that like his contract is extremely team-friendly um, and like very tradable, would be really easy for a team to match or just like take into its cap space. Um, he's still pretty young. He's a fantastic defender. And I think would fit on a lot of different teams, especially given that, you know, he upped his three-point percentage to like 39% last year. Um, that's that's a pretty valuable trade ship. And that's one where I think you might actually be able to pull in an asset. But uh, apart from that, I mean, I just, again, like we were just going through the list of teams, trying to find a team that might be willing to take on Westbrook. I think you could do the same thing for Steven Adams. Like there's such a surplus of big men in the league right now. As good as I think Steven Adams can be, uh, he looked pretty broken down at the end of last season, and that's not the first time he's looked broken down at the end of a season either, so I just don't know. I think uh, I think it might be tough times ahead for OKC, but I, given where they were at, that they, you know, they seemed to be stuck, that Paul George had basically asked out, I think they had to do this deal. Yeah, I mean, agreed. Like, if... It's one thing if they were just debating whether to pivot to a rebuild or not, and you know you're not sure whether to give up on a guy like Paul George because the answer is usually no. But when when the guy fully asks out and wants out, and you know he doesn't want to be there and has eyes for LA anyway, and you can get the package that you got for him, then I think that's a no-brainer. You know, every day of the week. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For Soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download The Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Let's talk about the Raptors, who lose Kawhi Leonard here. And that's obviously a tough pill to swallow for them. I think it's certainly softened by the fact that they just won a championship. I mean, I guess the big question right now is, do they look to move some of their veterans on expiring contracts? Or do they just sort of keep what they have and go into next year and, and try and make a run at like a top four seed in the East? Because I actually think health permitting that they could snag one of those top four seeds. I think health permitting, they're the third best team in the East right now. I mean, that, uh, that, that sort of presumes that their vets like Gasol and Lowry and Ibaka don't take steps back and play at the level that they played at last year. And that Siakam, yeah. that Siakam takes another step forward, which I, I'm fully expecting that part of the equation to happen. Um, but we also haven't seen Siakam in a situation where he has to be the number one guy. And uh, I think, you know, he still has some questions to answer about that and whether he can do it. Um, he's obviously, you know, he's a tireless worker who has improved by leaps and bounds over the last two years. But that's going to be a whole new situation for him, um, being the number one guy and being schemed for every single night. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, they, you know, 
by virtue of losing Kawhi Leonard, you have a lot of questions to answer. And just not having that guy on the court, um, you know, we've seen the difference that a player of that caliber makes, especially April to June. But in terms of selling off the vets, I think I feel like Masai Ujiri is going to play it by ear and see how the season goes. Like I don't think he's going to make any drastic changes between now and October. Um, you know, I understand that when you've got this many vets on expiring deals, you have to at least investigate what they're worth on the open market. But I think that's a lot tougher to do when you're literally the defending champions. Like I understand Kawhi and Danny Green, their decisions alone have ensured you can't fully run it back, but you can still kind of run it back with what you've got. Like, yeah, you're, you're not a championship contender anymore, but in a pretty wide open East, at least beyond the top two, a Siakam, Lowry, Gasol, core with Ibaka, Van Vliet, you know, OG, I think everyone expects him to take a step next season. Um, Powell, like, it's, it's still there as a pretty solid playoff team that can maybe win a round or even two, depending on how things break in the playoffs. So I just think Masai owes it to the group, and I think, I think he knows that, that he will do that. He owes it to the group to at least start the season and see what they give him and see what they look like because, I don't know, they look like a top three or four seed – um, and Siakam takes another step and OG does look like a foundational piece. And, you know, Fred as an expiring contract looks like he will remain part of the future. There's, there's obviously something to build with there. And if it doesn't, if they look like a kind of a middling team, like a six, seven seed that's going nowhere, then yeah, then obviously you do have to have to investigate what an expiring Lowry might get you or an expiring Gasol might get you. But again, and I think the fact that they, they won the title and, Masai probably feels like to himself, to the fans, to the team, to guys like Lowry and Gasol, they probably owes it to them to at least see what this group can give them. Not not dissimilar to the way he felt he owed it to the team with, you know, DeRozan and Lowry and Amir Johnson and all those guys back in the day to not blow it up when they started winning after the Rudy trade. Uh, I think those are good points. I mean, you know, you could look at it uh, from the other side and basically say maybe he owes it to them to try and flip them to a contender. Uh, and give them, a, a, you know, a guy like Mark Gasol, say, who's sort of nearing the end of his run. I mean, obviously, he was fantastic in the playoffs last year, but you know, his his prime, if you can still call it that, is you know basically on its last legs. I mean, Lowry, I think you could say the same thing. Like, this is very much the tail end of his prime. So, part of it, I guess, is a question of of what those guys want. You know, do they want to stick around and and try and make a run of it with you know with this core built around Siakam now, or would they prefer to to get shipped elsewhere and have another opportunity to win another title before it's all over? Yeah, and I think again, I think I think at least to start, I could see obviously you know we don't know for sure, but I could see those guys at least wanting to start the season trying to run it back. Um, you know, you can just listen to the way Lowry talks about how much he's come to consider Toronto home and how much he loves it. Um, you know, as a Raptor, I, I can't see, you know, Kyle Lowry immediately thinking, all right, I want out now because I want to find another contender. Like, I think they, they just won the title. I'm sure that's temporarily satisfying him. And I think, I think, you know, I'm sure a bit of pride will kick in too for these guys, not in any sort of anti-Kawhi way, but also in a way as if to say, look, like we, we were a pretty big part of a team that just won a championship. We still feel like we can compete at least on some level here. You know, let's go and prove it. I do think that kind of pride will kick in with guys like Lowry, Ibaka, Van Vliet, you name it. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just really interested to see what their next moves are. And obviously, they just have a ton of money coming off of the books after this season. Uh, Lowry's deal is expiring, Ibaka's deal, Gasol's deal. And uh, that makes me a little bit curious, too, to see how they handle the Siakam situation because he is extension eligible. And we've seen uh, the guys from his draft class uh, who are basically on the same level, I would say, in Ben Simmons and Jamal Murray who have signed five-year max extensions with their teams. Do you think the Raptors go that route, or do you think they sort of hold off? So, you know, if they're going into next summer, all they'll have on the books basically is Siakam's cap hold rather than um, what would be, you know, a max deal at something close to $30 million. I could see them reaching an extension within this summer. For one, next year's free agent class is an abomination. Um, It's bad, like really bad. There's no franchise changers in that class. And, you know, based on Woj's reporting that... Now, I know that, for the most part, I think it sounds like the Thunder were just using the Raptors for leverage to try to extract as much value out of that Clippers package as they could. But still, based on Woj's reporting, Masai Ujiri was hesitant to part with Pascal Siakam in a deal that might have netted in Paul George. Maybe it's because Russ was involved. We don't know. But I think, in general... We know how much Masai Ujiri and the Raptors value Pascal Siakam. You know, they don't have to worry about cap space for next summer because, again, I don't think there's any franchise changers coming next summer. And they could, you know, easily give Pascal Siakam max money and still have plenty of space left for 2021. I guess the counter to that is, do you want to see Pascal Siakam in that lead role that you were talking about that he's never really had before before you give him max money? I I don't even think you necessarily do need to see that because – Max money, as we've come to know, doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the best player on your team. It just it means you're worth it because someone is going to give it to you. And whether it's the Raptors or not, someone at some point, Pascal Siakam, even if he doesn't take another step, if he's just what he was last year, which is a Swiss Army knife of a defender, um, you know, a guy that could give you 20 a night pretty consistently, can score in a variety of ways, started developing that three-point shot. Like, someone's giving him max money at some point unless he takes a drastic step back. And so I just think from the Raptors perspective, if you can do that and not have to worry about how it affects your next year's cap space or two years from now, why not? Yeah. I mean, I've always sort of been of the mind and I mentioned this when Devin Booker signed his max extension. I sort of felt the same way about uh, Jamal Murray and Ben Simmons. It just, if you can get a a discount on that extension, then it makes sense to me. But if you are going to max them out anyway, to me, like I understand, you want to build goodwill with a player, um, but it just it doesn't always make sense to me why they jump the gun and do those extensions right off the bat. And we've seen, you know, some teams, notably the Minnesota Timberwolves, get burned by that. Uh, and I think that might happen to the Suns as well. Uh, you know, you have an opportunity, and and for the Raptors, I think they've shown that they believe in Pascal Siakam. I think Masai Ujiri has probably assured him one way or another that they're going to take care of him. Yeah. So, so it just gives you like a little bit more flexibility, I guess. Um, and yeah, for me, I mean, I'm again, I would be curious to see what he looks like in that number one role. I think that the most important thing is for him to just develop that off the dribble shot. Um, obviously, being able to shoot threes above the break would be huge as well. Um, but like he can create off the dribble, but it's always just going to the rim and if he can work in some pull-up jumpers, I think that's going to open up his game to an even greater extent. Yeah, and I think, you know, as we saw last year, I'm sure the summer for him will be 
um, paramount. You know, in case you haven't heard it before, he's only been playing basketball seven years or whatever it is. But no, for real, like when when obviously when the when the you know sample size of, of basketball in general is that small, I just feel like every year of development could be that much bigger, right? Like every summer um, can be that much more important. And I think I think the same size of a leap from last year to this year is probably unrealistic because that would just put him in a completely different stratosphere. Uh, but again, even a marginal leap, and I think Siakam is right there as kind of like a 1B guy uh, on a contending team. I think what I'm interested to see from Raptors' perspective too is what Marcus Gasol looks like, you know, moving up one spot in the pecking order. I know in the playoffs, you know, offensively, he looked hesitant and, and wasn't really chasing his own offense that much. But like, it's not as if, you know, this guy hasn't been a scorer in two or three years. Like he averaged more than 15 a game in Memphis what five months ago you know what i mean it's not like we haven't seen that from him in such a long time now is he going to be the overall offensive player he was when he was an mvp candidate of course not but do i think offensively he can give them more than he gave them you know down the stretch of the season in the playoffs sure and i think that's that's kind of interesting for me too whether whether it ends up that they look at marcus as someone to flip for future assets or someone who can be part of you know whatever this defending champion team is i think he can definitely give them some more offensively and i think we'll see it with him moving up one spot in the pecking order i think yeah that's we'll see that with everybody right basically everyone in toronto is now going to move up one spot in the pecking order and there's a little bit more pressure on everybody but at the same time you know maybe not as much pressure because the expectations have sort of been lifted now and my feeling at this point is that probably those guys have more value to the raptors than they would on the market and I don't know that, you know, whatever is out there for those guys in a trade is going to be worth it. At least, you know, until we get to the deadline and maybe some team gets desperate or a exactly. team that, a team that realizes it's close uh, is willing to put something on the table that they wouldn't at this point in time. But, like, I think, I think you're right, and I think those guys will be Raptors on opening day. And I think one thing you can say is that the Raptors still look like they're going to be a really, really good defensive team. You know, between Gasol and Siakam and OG and Lowry and Van Vliet, like the defensive talent is still very much there. Um, and it's sort of like you said, I'm, I'm interested to see offensively what these guys can do now that they're going to have a little bit more responsibility. It'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, we started seeing it in the playoffs, especially. We saw, you know, some of that innovative stuff we always heard about Nick Nurse, but it was more in terms of like lineup combinations and in-game decisions and tactical stuff like that. I think it'll be interesting to see maybe a more hands-on approach from Nick Nurse with the offense now that they lost Kawhi Leonard because, you know, at the end of the day, they did have the luxury last year of just being able to dump it into Kawhi Leonard. And maybe it wasn't the most as uh, aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball, but it was pretty effective because Kawhi is an awesome isolation player. You know, maybe we see more of that innovative offensive mind from Nick Nurse now just because he doesn't have that luxury. And, you know, we talked throughout the season about how the Raptors sort of had two different offenses, right? They had the Lowry run motion offense and they had, you know, Kawhi basically running offense, you know, by himself. Like, And I think by the end of the season, they sort of managed to harmonize those two offenses. But there was certainly a little bit more ball movement and player movement when Kawhi wasn't out there. And look, it's it's been re- repeated ad nauseum. And I think it's a little bit overstated, but I'll say it again just for the sake of it. I mean, the Raptors went 17-5 and in the games that Kawhi didn't play last year. That's overstated in part because a lot of the games he sat out were games against weaker competition. But 
I mean, they also beat some pretty good teams uh, without him playing, including a fully healthy Warriors team. And, uh, you know, those moments when Lowry was basically asked to run the offense, he looked pretty damn good doing it. So, you know, I'm not convinced. Again, like you said, I think this definitely has a chance to be like the third or fourth best team in the East. You know, that said, I do I do think the conference now is like it's Philly and Milwaukee. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think those two teams are are head and shoulders above the rest of the conference. Um, Milwaukee's got the best player in the conference, and you know we saw what surrounding Giannis with three point shooting could do last year. And Philly, like we mentioned, yeah, the lineup's unconventional. We don't really know how it fits offensively, but man, they're going to be a terror defensively. Yeah, um, which which of those teams would you make the favorite in the East? Mm, I'd I'd probably lean Milwaukee right now. I I think Philly's overall size and and defensive ceiling really does. I feel like I might end up picking them in a playoff series if I had to, but just whole season, you know, 82-game slog, if I had to count on one roster, I'd go with Milwaukee. Yeah, I think it might be a situation... Like, Milwaukee, I would expect to have the better regular season record. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I agree. Like, I'm I'm thinking about what the Raptors did to Giannis, and I'm sure he's going to, like, add all measure of wrinkles to his game and, and come back better next year. But, like, the ability to have... Like, they have so many big... Uh, defenders to stick on him like on the perimeter and they can do that while still having a big guy hanging back near the rim ready to deter him there and that's what the Raptors did I mean they had waves of defenders to sort of slow him down and like Philly they can have Horford as the primary guy on him they can have Ben Simmons as the primary guy on him I mean even Josh Richardson can probably do a little bit of that like they they certainly have uh, the defensive personnel to do what the Raptors did so yeah, in a playoff series, I might agree. And we'll have time to talk about all of this in the future. But for now, let's circle back to Kawhi, just because he's obviously the guy at the center of all of this. And I think it's just really fascinating because, uh, you know, this was the first time that that he really, like, held his destiny in his own hands. And I think it says a lot about him, right? I think the, the sort of perception was he didn't necessarily want the limelight and he was just sort of, like, wanted to put his head down, be about his business. Like we didn't really know what he wanted or how he wanted to be perceived or any of that. And the fact that, I mean, this isn't just him signing with the Clippers, right? This is him basically announcing himself as a kind of power broker in the league. And for him to sort of spurn the Lakers in order to go and basically be the guy who formed another, I don't know if you want to call the Clippers a super team. It's all semantics anyway, but basically form his own team by going out and recruiting Paul George. I think that's a really interesting look that we haven't, you know, seen from him before. We haven't had the opportunity to see it from him, but uh, you know, what does that tell you about Kawhi and and how do you think this move is going to be received? Yeah, I think in general it just goes, you know, to the fact that even the people who thought they knew Kawhi as a basketball entity or as a basketball power broker, they didn't really know him, right? Like you mentioned, this was the first time he really had control of what was going to happen since he chose San Diego State as a you know not highly recruited recruited um, collegiate player. Like he he got drafted by the Pacers and traded to the Spurs, and he ended up in that you know Popovich system of um, utilitarian system, and they had Duncan and Ginobili and Parker, and he kind of you know he fit in there, and then he emerged as a as an MVP candidate, and everyone just saw it. You know I, I know I did. I saw him as the quintessential spur, you know, quiet, um, 
about his business. He seemed if, if any franchise player and any franchise looked like they fit together, it, those were the ones. It was Kawhi and the Spurs. It just fit so perfectly. And then, okay, he forced his way out of his his way out of San Antonio, wants to go to LA, but ends up in Toronto. Again, goes about his business, wins a title in Canada, wins another Finals MVP. And it's like, well, everyone knows Kawhi. He doesn't want any part of super teams. He doesn't want the attention. He should secure the bag, stay in Toronto, whatever the case may be. And, okay, maybe he's anti-joining a super team. But I think what we learned is he's not necessarily against super teams. He just wants to engineer them himself. And like you said, he wants to be a power broker. And he sees himself in that light. And he absolutely should because look at what he's accomplished in his career. And then even if you look at – even though he didn't necessarily – make it like a look at me year if you look at the way new balance marketed him even the laugh stuff and the way he mocked it at the parade i think there is you know a marketable star in there that maybe whether it was the spurs not tapping into it properly whether it was jordan brand not not tapping into it properly it, it was in there and i think just all these things we've learned about Kawhi over the last year he is this marketable star he actually does have some personality and from a basketball power broker standpoint, he sees himself on that level, just like LeBron does, as the kind of guy who can kind of play puppet master and engineer things around the league. And you mentioned him spurning the Lakers. It's not just that he spurned the Lakers. He screwed the Lakers. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Think about the cap space that team had and the cap space that went to waste while all those guys went off the court. And I know they ended up with Danny Green, but they also re-signed JCP and brought back Javel McGee and whatever, and whatever they do with the rest of their cap space. Like, you can't tell me that they wouldn't have at least had a chance to get someone else had they known Kawhi wasn't coming. I don't know that he necessarily like to, he, I don't think he deliberately screwed them over or anything like that. And I think, you know, they probably look at the situation and think that Kawhi was worth waiting for. And even if it was an off chance, um, like whatever chance they had of getting him, I think it was worth it because the, just the, the mere possibility, even if it was a, five or ten percent chance which i think it was considerably higher than that but even if it was a ten percent chance of of putting him on a team with lebron james and anthony davis i think waiting was worth it and i think the fact that you know like a guy like danny green was still available at the end of all this uh is still a win for the lakers i certainly don't think they're screwed now i I think their window for championship contention is considerably smaller than it would have been had he signed there but I don't think they're walking away from the situation with any regrets necessarily. I mean, yeah, agree. It's obviously he's worth the wait. Had they got him, no one would be complaining. But I do, I do wonder how serious Kawhi was about joining the Lakers, given that it seems he did not want, you know, even all the reporting so far from Wolves that he, he preferred not to go there and not to join the LeBron AD already assembled super team. Now, I don't know, maybe maybe that was his second choice. Maybe he wanted to be in L.A. bad enough that he would have swallowed his pride and gone there. But if he didn't want to be there and maybe knew it and let the, the oh Lakers wait out free agency anyway, I mean, I'd applaud him. I think it's a bold move. It's a great move as a power broker, but uh, it definitely cost the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, just based on what, what has been reported, it seems like the Clippers were his first choice, but it doesn't seem like he was necessarily like fundamentally opposed to going and joining the Lakers either. I just think it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been his first choice and, and the Clippers seemed to be his priority. And I don't know, I mean it's it's tough to tell uh how serious he ever was about returning to the Raptors. Obviously he flies to Toronto to take that meeting and it didn't sway him, winning the championship didn't sway him, but 
look, you, you know, all you can really say about the guy is he came to a place, you know, he, he didn't necessarily want to be there. Uh, when he asked out of San Antonio, he wanted to go to L.A. Uh, and he came and, and put together a magnificent season, and, uh, you know, an all-time playoff run, wins the second championship, uh, his second finals MVP award, and now he's walking into a great situation where he's going to have a really good chance to do it again, probably multiple yeah. times over. And, and even just look at look at the havoc that was wreaked in, in Boston this year with Kyrie. And that was a place that he had forced himself to basically in a trade. And then in October said he was going to stay. Uh, and look what the specter of his free agency did there. Um, look at Kevin Durant. The Warriors were a franchise that he chose and where he won two titles with. And still the specter of his free agency, you know, caused at least ripples in that locker room. If you look at what happened with him and Draymond Green. And then you look at Kawhi Leonard, who didn't choose Toronto, got traded here, you know, as we now know, wanted to be in L.A. the whole time. And yet still, it never affected the team. There was never any, you know, reports out there about Kawhi being a disturbance in the locker room or free agency, his free agency being a problem. He pretty much addressed it from opening day, saying that he wasn't going to address it. And he took this business-like approach. Sure, he missed a quarter of the season with load management, but that clearly paid off for him and the team in the playoffs. He was about his business during the playoffs. He was clearly working on a bum leg down the stretch of the playoffs and still played his ass off for the, you know, the franchise, the city, and the fans. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to respect the guy given what he did when, by all accounts, he might have already had one foot out the door. He didn't let that stop him from you know, giving himself the Raptors Canadian fans a, a year and a spring to remember. One hundred percent, and I think uh, it's just crazy. Like he, he's, you know, making the the rounds from one forlorn franchise to the next, and a, a franchise in the Clippers that has never made the conference finals in what, like, almost fifty years of existence now. That's insane, and I think we can safely assume that that is about to change. They, like you said, uh, and and Vegas would agree, are now NBA championship favorites. And Kawhi, I mean, he just he's just on an epic winning streak. Like his entire career, he has aside from the year that he only played nine games when I think the Spurs won forty seven. He's never been on a team I don't think that's won fewer than fifty five games. Uh, and he he has basically I think the best individual winning percentage of any player in history. Yeah, exactly. He's got the best individual winning percentage in the regular season of any player ever. I believe he was one of, if not the youngest, finals MVP ever when he won his first one in San Antonio. He delivers Canada its first NBA championship and then makes the Clippers immediate championship favorites, despite them being a franchise that's never even been in the conference finals. Like This guy, in the span of the last few years, has elevated himself to that just forget upper echelon of, of superstars right now, but he, like he's put himself in pretty historic company. I mean, my God, if he wins one for the Clippers after winning one in Toronto, that like we're talking about, you know, all time status. Yeah. And I'll just close on this note, uh, you know, on behalf of, of Toronto and Raptors nation, this is obviously, you know, a season that all of us are, are going to remember forever. And it's tough, certainly, to go from the high of winning a championship and having a parade to just a couple weeks later now, you know, having to deal with the fallout of Kawhi leaving. But 
I don't think any any Raptors fan would have traded this season for anything. Obviously, you know that that trade, uh, like I've said many times, it needed no justification or no vindication, but it still stands out to me as one of the greatest trades in NBA history. And just what an extraordinary set of circumstances, I think, you know, that brought Kawhi to Toronto in the first place. Like, there's been a lot of talk about how teams might try and follow this blueprint, like rather than try and keep open like a five-year window of semi-competitiveness, just cash all your chips in for one chance at, at glory. I just don't think that this circumstance can really be replicated because of all it took for Kawhi to become available in the first place and, and all it took for you know the Spurs wanting a package that helped them win now rather than looking at long-term assets, the Raptors being in position to sort of capitalize. I just think we might never see a situation like that again where a player of Kawhi's caliber gets traded uh, to a team like the Raptors that is, you know, was already sort of close to contending and, you know, with one year left on his deal, manages to put together a championship run. It's just a, pr- a pretty extraordinary 12 months uh, in NBA history and obviously Raptors history uh, and one that I think, you know, we're going to look back on a few years down the road and think, kind of like we do with the Mavericks 2011 title and think just like what a crazy run that was. Yeah, and even just forget, and I agree with you, about all the things that had to come together just for Kawhi to become available and then for the Raptors, you know, to be the kind of contender that was perfectly suited to take the one-year risk. But even just all the things that had to come together for then that one year to go the way it did, right? Like, you know, the the Gasol trade um, and finding that kind of, final piece of the puzzle that other vet that could join guys like Lowry and Ibaka as guys that were just so hungry to get their first one and then the four bounces it took for Kawhi's buzzer beater to beat the Sixers in game seven you know if that if that bounces a few inches either way that game's going to overtime and who knows what happens um game three in Toronto against Milwaukee with the Raptors down two nothing and having to go to overtime without Lowry and I can't remember who else had fouled out uh, getting to the finals and then obviously we know you know the way the Warriors were bit by the injury but like the amount of things that have to go right just for an already great team to win a title uh, is pretty un- unbelievable and the fact that it actually did all come together for the Raptors in a year they had to have is, is just remarkable yeah and um, you know all that stuff that happened I mean that's just cemented in Raptors lore now Everything he did, you know, that shot against Philly and and those games against Milwaukee and the way that he turned that series around and those moments that he had in the finals when he took over, you know, in the third quarter of game four against the Warriors um, and that run at the end of game five. I mean, that stuff belongs to Raptors fans and it always will. And even for just the one year and, and even kind of sitting there with the sort of empty feeling now, I don't think anyone would say that it wasn't worth it. So... Um, obviously the league just looking a lot different than it did yesterday. Uh, and we'll have lots more to talk about. We'll be back in studio on Monday just to sort of break down the off season as a whole. But for now, I'm going to let cash get back to, uh, to driving to Kingston cash, anything to, uh, anything to add before you sign off? No, just, yeah. Just finish off that point. Yeah. Like think about, I think about all those years that how many years in a row did the jazz make the playoffs during their eight? It was like more than 20 straight years. They made the finals back to back years and, and couldn't get a ring with Stockton and Malone. Think of how long the Knicks have been wandering in the wilderness. Think of all the talent OKC has had the last decade. And again, it's just, it's a testament to how hard it is to win one championship in this league. And though Raptors fans are definitely heartbroken right now, they got that title. And there are a lot of franchises that would kill for even just that one. 
We'll leave you with that. Uh, for Joseph Cacharo, I'm Joe Wolfond. We're signing off. Pound the Rock. <laughs>